0: Uh, at this time, because I always forget this, uh, kids are dismissed to Covenant Kids Worship. <laughs> uh, I believe it's fourth through second grade, roughly. So you can go back to that. And this time, Pastor Benroll, come and preach for us. Good morning. It's always good to be with you. I enjoy filling in when John is gone. And we are, in a way, continuing our series in Luke, but I'm going back uh, a little bit further than from where he left off. Um, You might remember last week he said that he was not a fire and brimstone preacher, um, but that that's in the Bible. And so that was much of what he was talking about last week, and this goes back further in Luke 12, because it's there too. And so we're going to be looking at that this morning. Let me read the text. Um, It's in Luke 12, uh, starting in verse 49. This is the Word of God. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, And daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret present time. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate has mingled with their sacrifices, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think? That they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none, cut it down why should i use up the ground and he answered them sir let it alone this year also until i dig around it and put on manure and then if it should bear fruit next year well and good but if not you can cut it down let's pray thank you father again for your mercy and grace to us thank you for your word the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our god stands forever so please Use it again this day, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, just before the text I read, as a bit of background to it, it, that's the, the story of the landowner who had left his estate in the hands of his managers with instructions on how to care for it, but when he returns, he finds out that some did and some didn't, and the consequences were terrible for those who didn't. There's going to be a reckoning one day, a settling of all accounts, a a great day of judgment. Hebrews 9.27 sums it all up by saying, it is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. There's no second chance. There's no video game reset button with extra lives. There's no reincarnation. Uh, You die once and that's followed right away by your life somehow being judged by God. You die and then in some sense, you stand before his judgment bench and he essentially plays a Blu-ray movie of your life and says, explain this to me. We're all headed there. No one will escape this. Now, we can joke about it as many have like the great theologian Woody Allen, who said, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Well, he will be there too. Or maybe you heard, now it's been a long time, a number of years ago, when the first Russian cosmonaut, you remember this, the first Russian cosmonaut, first one in space, comes back, and he proudly and arrogantly said, I went into the heavens, but God was not there. I didn't see him. Well, next time, take off your spacesuit and you will see him. No, we will all be there. So, to get us to thinking about this in preparation for what I just read about Luke saying that comes next after the landowner coming back, consider for a moment. Uh, going to the airport for a plane flight. A number of us have done this multiple times, uh, seasoned travelers, as it were, uh, learned all the tricks and shortcuts, and we counted up, and I think we went back and forth to Japan over 12 times. And But try to, try to imagine it for the first time because Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed for man to die once. So try to think of it. This means you don't get lots and lots of tries at the judgment seat of God. Uh, that didn't go so well. I really didn't intend to bring up how good I've been, but it just slipped out. No, one chance. So, first time we went was in um, 1988. And as soon as you get to the, as soon as you set foot in the airport on this side before you go, there's a line at the ticket counter. And I hear people ahead of me, you know, you're listening as you're inching up with problems, and you hear, well, the website said that for an international flight, it's 50 kilos per bag. Well, yes, sir, that's true, but you have to take a domestic flight first to get to the international flight, and the domestic flight is 30 pounds, not kilos. And so there were people um, off to the side, in line, opening up their bags, taking stuff out, repacking, handing stuff to the people there who brought them. And you begin to think, I'm not going to make it. Well, then on to the the TSA uh, screening area, another very long line. Everyone's funneled and channeled. Um, into one point of entry uh, as it shoes on or shoes off here and the anxiety increases because up ahead you hear the buzzer alarm go off when someone goes through and you think again I'm not going to make it, I'm, we're going to miss the flight. Now I have Barbara's permission to em- <laughs> to embarrass her with this. Now, this was before 9-11, I don't know if that's in your defense or not, but We were in line, and the guy says, Ma'am, let me see your paperback. She says, You think I have a bomb in my paperback? Well, they descended on her. They grabbed her. They pulled her off to the side. Our kid's eyes got big. What are they doing to Mommy? And took her off to the side, and over her head, I could see a sign that said, All comments will be taken seriously. So I asked the guy, Um, Why are you taking all this more information in? And he said, if the plane goes goes down, we'll know where to start. We thought, especially then, we're not going to make it. (laughs) Well, finally, you make it to the gate, and you line up again to board the plane, and everyone's in line, funneled through the door to get in. Fourteen hours later, you land in Tokyo, the plane's jammed with people getting off through one door on to immigration. Now the question here is, um, the USA let me go, but will Japan now let me in? So it continues. And the Narita immigration area is huge. I don't know if you've been, or any bigger airport. There's, there's lines like they have at the bank that you have to weave through. And then there was 20 gates of agents for all the current international flights. Who are you? Why are you here? How long are you staying? And even now, you're looking ahead and you notice they're whisking some people away that don't get through immigration. And you think again, I'm not gonna make it. Passport finally stamped, got a three-year visa. Now down the steps to baggage and customs. Question that immigration was, they let me in. The, cu- the question that customs is, Are they going to let my stuff in? More funneling, channeling through narrow places. You finally get up there. Guy says, open your bags, please. Why do you have so much beef jerky? (laughs) Are you going to sell that? They really thought. Because I know you can't eat it all, is what he was saying. Do you have anything to declare? Anything else? Well, anyway, the point is, We will all go through an evaluation, a judgment, a deep and massive reckoning of our lives before God. Those full-body 3D image scanners TSA uses are nothing compared to the judgment seat of God Almighty. Not to be trite, but you and I will go through the mother of all scanners. You will wish It was only physical. It'll be more than that. It will somehow show everything you've ever thought, said. Not just what you've actually done, as bad as that's going to be. It's going to show the intent of your heart. The underlying motivations for everything will be revealed. So, a time of reckoning and judgment is coming, and it cannot be avoided because it's appointed by God, and it will be thorough and full of justice, based as it is upon the nature and the character of God. So, let's look then at the flow of thought that Luke expresses under inspiration here, and I'm using the, I don't think it shows up on the screen, but I'm going to use the five headings in your pew Bible. There are five little paragraphs that we're going to look at to see the the flow of Luke's thought under inspiration about all of this. And in the the section before about the landowner, verse 43 says, Blessed is the servant whom his master finds doing what he told him when he returns. And Jesus is saying, you Pharisees aren't. You religious leaders are not doing that. He says, I'm the returning Lord, and you're not doing what my father said. And so, the first section that we're looking at now, 49 through 53, in your pew Bible is titled, Not Peace, But Division. He's assuming, obviously saying, that I didn't come to find that sad situation of you not doing what I told you to do, And because of that, I can't say, well, peace and blessings upon you, even though you're in great disobedience. No. I didn't come saying, don't worry, everything's fine, because it isn't, and he says in our section here, I'm going to undergo a baptism of fire on the cross, and it's very near. It's being prepared for me right now, kindled, the Word says, kindled for me. Right now, I wish it had already been kindled and done, and I'm distressed thinking about what I will soon go through. It will be full of pain and suffering and my death, so don't think your sin can be overlooked. There's going to be division. He's saying I, I wouldn't, it wouldn't be loving of me to let that state of affairs continue. No, sin must be accounted for. The facts and the implications of the gospel really do separate and divide people in a very deep way, right down to the basic divisions among family members, like it says here. Did you notice that, right? There's quite a lot of detail about the level and depth of divisions in verses 52 and 53, because families are the closest knit group. So this is not, this, this would be quite different Um, this is just not the guy in the elevator that you'll never see again. And Maybe uh, he doesn't care about his sin and the gospel, but what can you do? He's gone and he didn't care about your question concerning his soul, but family divisions are deeper. I won't ever forget this. I was talking to one of my in-laws about the gospel years ago, And he listened, and then he pretty much said, look, I don't believe all of that. I don't care to hear it. I know, I guess, you're concerned for me, but you're way off base with this. And this is the part that I really remember. He said, I really don't want to hear all of this threatening talk about heaven and hell. Jesus is saying the gospel divides us in this sense But it really would not be loving of him to say, peace, peace, when there is no peace and no reconciliation with God. And so, in fact, it's a merciful thing in the long run to cause division like this. Can you imagine if you were a doctor and you saw cancer on the x-ray, but you didn't want to upset the patient, and so you didn't tell him? It was treatable but because the therapy would be hard on them, you said, I'd rather be their friend than upset them. So I'm not going to scare him with threatening talk of cancer. Is that really being a friend? Just by a quick point of application, is there someone with whom you might need to risk some interpersonal pain? Is the Lord bringing anyone to your mind? What's the difference between a surgeon and a butcher? Well, they both cut, but one does it to heal, while the other one does it just for the consumption of meat. Now, we can be surgeons and not butchers, but we do have to cut. So that's the first section. The gospel divides in the short term before it heals in the long term. The next section is 54 through 56, and it is titled, Interpreting the Time. And you're gonna watch these five paragraphs and how they link together. So he's talking about now interpreting the time, or we could put it this way, paying attention to the spiritual weather report. And he says, you guys are great at the physical weather report. And you can be picturing a, a simple map of Israel and the land around. And I don't know. We can't really tell because it's printed and we don't hear it as such. But I can't really tell if this is sarcasm on Jesus' part. If it's sarcasm, he's saying, you guys are brilliant. Rain over there, wind coming from that way, it will rain here shortly. Brilliant. Or maybe it's not sarcasm. Because, no, they did not have Doppler radar. They did not have weather apps. And maybe he's saying they really did understand it pretty well, and he was complimenting them. But in any event, Jesus is saying, if you would apply at a minimum the same level of inquiry to me and why I'm here as you do to the weather, you could figure this out. You've had Moses and the prophets and John the Baptist, and you should know, Pharisees especially, you should know exactly what I meant when I told you about the landowner who left and came back. The end of verse 56 says, you don't know how to interpret the present time. I might've mentioned this before, but in Greek there's two words for time, and no matter which one they use into English, it's time. The two words are, the first one is chronos, K-R-O-N-O-S. And the second one is kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. Now, chronos, you can almost hear it in there. It, that means chronology, meaning, for example, what time, what chronos does the meeting start? talking about hours and minutes and physical time segments. But kairos, on the other hand, would be like saying, what I learned at the meeting was so timely that it saved my life, something like that. And Jesus is using the second word here, saying, you don't grasp the timing or the timeliness of my coming in redemptive history. And Jesus is saying implying this this has been plainly revealed this should not be news to you. And it's when you say revealed it's possible to talk about we talk about two kinds of revelation in the bible and the first is called general or natural and it's described Um, in Romans 1, where Paul says that creation itself plainly reveals, there's the word, reveals both the two things, both the presence and the, the divinity of God. And you don't need the Bible for that. It's generally available knowledge to any thinking person. You can know, Romans 1 says, just from nature that someone, capital S, is there, and that He's much bigger than you, and He is, in fact, God. It's enough to let you know you're in trouble. There's a God, and I am somehow accountable to Him, and I've not been glorifying them. That's Romans 1, general revelation. Special revelation, of course, is the Bible, and it gives all kinds of specific factual information about that God tells you who he really is and how to be rightfully related to him through Christ in the gospel. And so here in the second section, Jesus is saying, if you'd apply the same thought and care to that as you do to the weather, you would see it. So now we move to the third section, settle with your accuser. The next section is Um, 57 through 59 and i follow Luke's logic here since he's really there settle with your accuser if he's not there, no need to settle but because he's there you better settle so let's say you do pay attention to the spiritual weather report and you do discern you're in trouble and you do realize that it's deep and it's inescapable trouble. You cannot get out of it no matter how good you try to be and however much you might rationalize and hide how bad you are. So Jesus here says, if you know you're in trouble, settle with your accuser before court because court will only make it worse for you. Things will come out and be proven you haven't even thought of yet because of that scanner things you've never dreamed of that is actually sin. You realize that, that none of us really grasps the depth and the evil of our sin. We are great rationalizers and blame shifters. It's the title of the message, Objects in the Mirror are Closer Than You Think. In order, you know how that mirror works, in order to see more stuff in your side mirror, they distort it for a wider view. But they want you to know in doing that, that while it's helpful, the trade-off is, the stuff is closer than you normally see in a mirror, so be careful. Do you pay attention to that etching on the mirror anymore? I, you know, usually don't. But it's there every day, warning you. You don't have as much room as you might think before you hit something. And this world, the point here, this world distorts how real and close God is. Your sin is far worse, far bigger and closer than you imagine, and the time for judgment over it is closer than you think. So, you're walking to court, And Jesus says, settle on the way somehow with your accuser, because the implication is, of course, he's right. Your accuser is in the right about this, and you're in the wrong. So you settle on the way. But you still got to go in to the courtroom because you're on the docket. So you go in, and you sit down at your table, But amazingly, your accuser keeps walking. He doesn't sit at the table opposite you, but goes right up to the judge's bench and puts on the black robe and sits down. And at this point, you're thinking, man, am I glad I settled early. If I hadn't, I'd be in a mess right now. God is your accuser. Now, This is an amazing scene if we think about this courtroom scene more. God goes with you and you settle and repent beforehand such that when your enemy the devil shows up and takes, lays out this truly airtight case against you with things you never thought or heard of, exhibits A to Z, Jesus steps up and takes your place, and the judge says, this has already been settled. The best words you're ever going to hear. Jesus goes to the cross for execution in your place, and the judge takes you, comes down from behind the bench, puts his arm around your shoulder, takes you across the hall to family court, and fills out adoption papers. And you go home with the judge, as his son or daughter what an astounding turn of events grace is closer than it appears to anyone here today need to settle take it now take the offer now settle while there is still time so we move on to the fourth section point number three was that you need to settle, so now he moves on to the terms of the settlement. What exactly does the accuser judge say that it takes to settle? Now, we don't, this is a sort of an unusual part, we don't have time to go into the Galileans whose blood Pilate mingled with their sacrifices, but that likely means um, they were killed. While doing sacrifices with animals and they were murdered (laughs) attacked during that and the blood somehow got mixed together and the 18 killed by the tower falling is similar to that that yes in one sense some sins are more or less heinous but the point of both of those odd stories the point is any sin now those look bad but any sin however small is still enough to cause judgment, punishable by death. So don't think you can hide behind some grand stories of sin. This this is the James 2.10 sense. That says that even if you keep the entire law, but only break it at just one point, you're still guilty. That's like saying, can I cut your bungee cord in just one little place? Jesus says, big sin or little, and here are the terms repent of it or perish. And the logic continues here in this fourth section. Verses 1 through 5 of 13 say there's two and only two options. No matter the sin, all are heinous because it's sin. Any one of them, big or small cuts, in your bungee cord. So repent. Or perish. There's no third option. This doesn't sit well with us today because we live in an atmosphere of multiple choices, don't we? There's all, go to the restaurant, there's all kinds of menu options. Uh, One fast-food place used to say, maybe they still do, have it your way. Just tell us what you want and we'll fix it for you. Um, We have multi-screen movie theaters. Cable companies offer 200 plus channels. It's all about choice and options. And I remember coming home for the first time uh, from Japan after being there three years, and I went to the grocery store and turned down the cereal aisle, and I froze. I just stood there looking at two sides of this aisle with cereal choices as far as I could see, Japan had cornflakes, raisin bran, and a strange kind of granola. And that was it. Still don't really know what was in the granola. There were so many choices back in the U.S. that I panicked, and I actually left the store without buying any cereal. Well, anyway, the last thing we want to be told is that our choices are limited. And worse than that, It isn't that they're just limited somewhat, they're limited all the way down to two. There's two and only two, and Jesus says here, in regard to eternity, there are only two choices. It's a bit blunt, um, but there are two possibilities regarding being pregnant. Either you are or you're not. Yes, you can be a few days or weeks or eight and a half months, but in regard to your condition, I can say this about everybody in here, you are either pregnant or not. And in this sense, you can't be kind of saved. And we can talk about being strong or weak Christian, but you are either in a saving, trusting faith relationship with the Father through the person and work of Jesus Christ, called and kept by His Spirit, or not. No gradient, no sliding scale, no gray area as such. Yes, your faith and confidence might come and go, but that's not the main question. The main question is not the amount of your faith. It's the object of your faith. The question isn't whether you're having a victorious day or not. It's whether Jesus' life and death and resurrection are victorious or not. So there's only two options from your accuser. Lastly, the fifth section is 13, six through nine, and this is the parable of the barren fig tree, which you'll see in Luke's progression of thought, now says, saying regarding the two possibilities, there will be indications of which camp you're in before the time once you become a follower of Christ by faith your day-to-day experience will be marked by ups and downs but there should be slow steady progress kind of like as one person put it going up the stairs with a yo-yo we don't want to make an exacting list of fruits in the Christian life if you're doing this you're good if you're not you're not we don't do that But we do want to say there should be, they should be there, these fruits, in increasing measure. The way we move forward in the Christian life is described in the Bible as walking, your walk with the Lord. And the steps, I think it's fair to say that the two main steps that we repeat over and over again in walking are repentance and faith repent of a sin, and then believe faith, believe in the gospel again for forgiveness, repent of the next sin, believe the gospel for forgiveness of that, left foot, right foot, moving ahead. If you only repent, 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 Lord, I've sinned against you and you really, really dwell on it, turning too many times into <clears throat> lots of repentance, I'm a worm, I'm a dog, I'm worthless, you just hop on the left foot in a, circles in an endless loop of going down, but if you only believe, 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 I'm up, I'm victorious, um, no sin to repent of really, um, you hop on the right foot in an endless loop, which loses Sight of the ongoing need for repentance. So, rather, the biblically based life would be one of walking forward in a life marked by both repentance and faith. And we do remember, uh, John the Baptist said, "Produce fruit in keeping with repentance." He separated the two, and I don't think he meant. We know he didn't mean that. Just do that one time, and. Only on the first day you repented and believed. No, it's as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk. So, as you move forward in repentance and faith, you bear fruit. If the fig tree of your life never produces fruit, you have a big problem. And I should say, I guess, um, if this parable of the barren fig tree terrifies you, that you don't have enough fruit, well, that's okay. Some time spent in reflection on that won't hurt us one little bit. It's here for a reason to get us to examine ourselves and see it. So, let me, let me um, wrap this up by looking at the grace of the gospel in each of these five steps, because it might sound Um, like it's all fire and brimstone and horrible and death. Think about the first one that's called uh, not peace but division. Well, what causes the division? It's the fact that there's peace available. If it wasn't available, there'd be no division. People get angry that you tell them of their need and that causes division, but the gospel graciously said there is peace actually available even in the face of, a division. So, don't only see the division, also see the peace that God offers. The second one, you've been shown the weather report of the Scriptures, the Bible, and it is light and life. Doppler radar was billed as something that will protect you and your family. No, Doppler radar warns you and your family. It doesn't save you, it's like an X-ray. An x-ray doesn't heal, it reveals something that could be healed if treated. Only Jesus, as revealed in the Scriptures, protects and saves. And we have that sure revelation, so the good news of the second point is we have the true long-term weather report, and it's Jesus. The third one about settling with your accuser, the good news here is, God does settle beforehand with people. Lots of them, lots of you are here in this room. It's a profoundly gracious offer to do it beforehand. So if you haven't, do it today. You can. Uh, you Pray a simple prayer, something like, God, you're right and I'm wrong and Jesus is the answer and I take that by faith. Right now, personally, you can flesh those things out, but that's how you settle beforehand. And then the fourth one was repent or perish. Well, this is full of grace too. Don't miss the fact that repentance is offered. Don't say, why not three or more choices? Say, God, why would you be so gracious to offer a second one when I so terribly deserve the first one? I can't believe That he would offer even two. Last one, the fig tree. Notice he hasn't cut you off yet. The fig tree got another year. Did you catch that? What grace that is, what patience, what hope you and I have. Yes, judgment is coming. But if you're in Christ, you're going to make it. Let's pray. Father, again this morning, we are struck uh, by the power of your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring Luke and the other writers of scriptures and for preserving your word for us such that we hold it in our hands today. More grace. Through that word uh, this day, we're reminded of the the vast uh, scope and the movement of the progress of redemption. And we are so thankful that by your mercy... We are the glad recipients of it. And so would you please work it more deeply into us, we pray. Press it into our hearts. I pray for any today who hadn't really known of this, that they would latch on to it by faith and confess their sin and need by an act of their wills, that they would transfer their faith and trust off of themselves and onto Christ, the one who can truly bear it. And for those of us who do know you, may we grow in grace, in our knowledge, and in our desire to apply it and share it. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. And can it be? Yes, it can. Let's sing to the glory of God.